when we we had a conference call to talk about what these presentations were supposed to be about and i loved the term that um, daryl used a theological testimony uh, so it's a story it's my story it's part of uh the old old story and all of our stories are um and so so it's a story with a theological emphasis and and insights and reflections and particularly about why we plant or revitalize churches. Why? And so my story is kind of framed around two things, um, the, the theology of vocation and ecclesiology. So that should, be, come, that should come as no surprise, but those are kinds of the categories I'm gonna tell my story, uh, reflect on my story in those categories. The first, um, and so what I'd like to do even before we start is for each of you to just kind of close your eyes and think for a minute. This is, you don't have to share this with anyone. It's hopefully just to get your, uh, your mind and heart engaged. If you had to say what is the core of your calling, not where you are right now, the specificity of it right this moment, but what is the core sense of your calling, of your vocation? You can write that down or just think about it. And then the other thing I'd like you to think about is what What is the church to you? What is the church? And why does it matter? So keep those things kind of percolating in the back of your head as we talk together. Um, so my calling, uh, for better or worse, my story cannot be told without talking about my father. Um, who modeled for me um, a life of absolute devotion, commitment, and passion to his vocation. Uh, I'm really proud of my dad. Just as an aside, he was just inducted into the Hall of Fame. Um, so, uh, but when I was growing up, uh, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, one, that my dad loved what he was doing and that he was absolutely committed to it. He, in a sense, embodied what I later um, read in Rainier Marie Rilke, uh, you know, dig deep, Rilke says to the young poet, dig deep and find your I must. Find your I must. And then organize your life around that I must so that every hour, no matter how mundane, no matter how seemingly insignificant, is a reflection, an embodiment, a testimony to your I must. So I was uh, 17 years old and I discovered my I must. Um, uh, I, it was not in the church. It was in a parachurch ministry called Young Life. How many of you, just out of curiosity, have had some experience with Young Life? I have departed significantly from the theology of Young Life, but I love I, I, the breadth 
of their reach is incredible. I mean, when I was here, actually, um, I remember talking with Nancy Duff, right, who you wouldn't, I mean, who had a significant experience with Young Life, and she goes, I remember, what I remember most about them is they really knew how to laugh. Um, but my, so I, I was in Young Life, I was uh, not involved in the church at all, I thought the church was utterly irrelevant and ridiculous, and um, uh, a Young Life leader reached out to me, built a relationship with me, I went to summer camp, um, and I had one of those conversion experiences that I have since reinterpreted a thousand times, but at its core, it is still the kernel of my I must. I was seized by the power of a great affection. I was seized by the good news that in Jesus Christ, we know the transforming love of God and that changes everything. It changes the way I see myself. It changes the way I see the world. It changes the way I see the school I was going to and the city I lived in and the parents I had and my siblings and my friends. The transforming love of God known in Jesus Christ changes everything continuously. And that is ultimately the core of my I must. I, I want to tell people about that. I want to hear their stories, engage them, uh, share stories. That is my I must. Uh, so I was 17, and I knew uh, whatever whatever else I did with my life, it would that would be at the core of it, is uh, sharing that good news. Um, sounds really simplistic, but that's it. And uh, so then uh, I was involved in a subculture. Uh, that basically immediately told me, well, you can't actually be a minister, um, but you could marry one. Um, and I had no interest in that. So, uh, but I could do Young Life. So I went on Young Life staff uh, for uh, 11 years. And I, again, have departed from much of their theological, uh, which actually, that's a whole other story. There's not a whole lot of theological depth. Um, but the, but I, I will say also still at the core of my uh, being is, are the skills for ministry that they taught and the, uh, the deeply embedded sense that all ministry is incarnational. And uh, so, so I did that for 11 years, and then um, I came to seminary for a number of different reasons, felt the call to come to seminary. Uh, I took a leave of absence from Young Life. I was going to go back to Young Life, um, but then I came to seminary, and I, I wanted to just, you know, wrestle with some theological things that had come up over and over again that nobody in Young Life was wrestling with. And uh, so I got here. And, um, and as happens in, in seminary, you have all kinds of crises. Uh, so I had, uh, I, I did a lot of reflecting on my 11 years in youth ministry. And, um, and here's what, in that particular youth ministry, here's, here's what I realized. Of all the people who'd come through, been touched by our ministry, most of them, the vast majority, 
were on one end or another of the spectrum. They were either in full-time ministry or they had dropped off the Christian map. Very few were meaningfully tied to a church, a local congregation. Uh, and so I became convicted about that. Uh, Dr. Jack Stewart was a big influence on me. We, we uh, talked a lot about ecclesiology and what the church is and does and means. And, um, and, uh, and I became very convicted that I, that I was supposed to be a critic of the church from within and not from without. So that was the, the first um, kind of thumb in the back that I felt from God to, to really ground my ministry in uh, a local congregation, that I, I felt that that was the place where people's lives could be continuously transformed and nurtured, uh, and people could be called and sent forth into the world. Um, so I also had a denominational crisis. We'll talk about that in a minute. You know, I, I, I often say I've been Episcopalian and uh, in addition to non-denominational and neo-charismatic. So, um, but I, I actually came to seminary Episcopalian, um, and and in Presbyterian. And again, I'll, I'll pick up on this later. N not by default, but by prayerful discernment, and and feel very strongly um, that I'm in the place that resonates with me. I often say, and, and we talk about this in, in our new member classes, you know, I don't think of myself as a Presbyterian. I think of myself as being Christian in a Presbyterian way. And we are all Christian in a particular way. And I think when we start churches or revitalize churches, we need to know what, what that way is. We need to be clear about it and make sure that we are um, intentional and uh, that that is not something we're not just doing it in a way that we defaulted into but that we have convictions about um, so uh, then uh, in seminary you know I this is just you know how vocation happens and how call happens so I was um, sensing the call that I needed to be in the church um, and then I wanted to minister to people across their lifespan and not just uh, for a particular generational. Although I, I still say I'm a youth minister. I just do youth ministry with people of all ages now. Um, but uh, so I was waiting to meet with Dr. Stewart and on his table, I think it was a Presbyterian Outlook. It was an article about planning new churches. And the end of the article had a list of characteristics of people who are generally successful in this endeavor. You've probably seen it or read it. Lindsay, I know, knows it. She helps people discern that. Anyway, so I'm reading through this, like 14 things or something. I'm like, oh yeah, that's me, that's me, that's me, that's me. And it's just like, you're extroverted and you know, you're entrepreneurial and risk taker and all that stuff. And uh, so I was, I read it and I was like, oh wow, that's, that's pretty cool. Maybe, maybe I could do that in the church. That might be more interesting than just going into an established congregation. Um, so then at the end it said, only about 4% of people who graduate from our seminaries have this set of characteristics. And I just said, well, my gosh. So out of 100 of my classmates, 96 of them can take these other jobs. Only four of us are suited for this. We better do it. We better do it. 
So, so that's, that's how I got um, called into new church work. Uh, we'll talk later about how I, I got into an established church. Um, so, so that's my vocation story. Um, you know, I, uh, when I was in high school, I read a lot of really, I can't even believe it now that I was reading like Bonhoeffer and, um, Dorothy Day. I loved Dorothy Day, The Long Loneliness, uh, Mother Teresa's biography. I must've read every single one of them I could get my hands on. Uh, and Mother Teresa, a quote uh, of Mother Teresa's that was very, very important to me and still is. She talked about going to her confessor to discern her call. And the confessor said, um, you know, profound joy of the heart is like a magnet indicating the path you should take. You must take it even if you enter into a way full of difficulties. So that also became a kind of a central, that kind of I must, uh, this profound joy that's a magnet, even if it's difficult, uh, were kind of the, my signpost for, um, for vocational call. Um, so the other thing that, um, okay, so that's vocation and, and then some sense of why I felt the call into the church. So now the question of why plant missional churches? We'll, we'll get to why plant and then why revitalize, but why plant, quote, missional churches? I confess that when I first started hearing about missional church, I had no idea what people were talking about. I was like, wait, I don't get it. Isn't that kind of like redundant? <laughs> like, if you're not missional, you're not the church. And... Of course, now, now remember, I'd never really been active in a church. So I didn't understand that there were some churches who didn't understand that. So, but I, I just thought, well, I don't get it. Like, if you're not missional, if you're not about being the called, sent people, well, then what are you the why? Or you're the, I don't know what, you're, you're, you're a provider of religious services. Who's trying to sell a product and, 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 and attract consumers? That's not the church. And I, uh, in all of our new member classes, um, both in Oconee, the new church plan, and, and even now, and they were a little bit surprised about this when I came to Trinity, and I was like, hey, you know, many of you, because we do these introductions, and um, you know, almost somebody in the room would say, we're shopping for a church. And I would say, you know, I'm, not, I, I'm not singling you out. We all think that way, we all talk that way, but I wanna point out something. I don't think you ought to be deciding if Trinity fits your needs. Now, that'll be part, not, that's not the primary question. Now, of course, God's not gonna call you to a place where you, you know, you don't like it. But the primary question is not, do I like it here? The primary question is, is God calling you here to be a participant in our mission and our shared mission? It's not about 
customer satisfaction. And I tell my staff all the time, if we are about customer satisfaction, we cannot minister to people. And this is really deeply embedded in our culture. People come to church for religious services and you are the provider and you should give them what they want. That, that's out there. And I think our calling in missional churches is to say, actually, no, we're not selling anything. We are inviting you in to a partnership of mission. We are not marketing, we are proclaiming. You are not a consumer, you are a called and sent forth person and that's what we want you to come into in this community. So, why plant missional churches? Because that's the church. Because if you're doing something else, you're not doing church. So, again, I, I, that is a really hard, I think, you know, that is so deeply embedded in our culture. Um, and it gets tricky, right? Because we do provide services. We do funerals. We do, I mean, I, I know some newer churches, we actually have a lot of, you know, some newer types of churches in Atlanta. And, and when somebody dies or they want to get married, they come over to Trinity and say, can we do it here? Because this church doesn't do it. So par part of particularly established churches are certainly um, what appear to be um, religious services, right? In the sense of products. We do a funeral, we do a baptism, we do a wedding. But again, I think it's it, it, that, that consumeristic mentality is so insidious and it is up to us as the leaders to reframe that. Because I will say, even um, at Trinity where I do, and, and you know, I, I have to leave early tomorrow to do a memorial service for a 23 year old, very prominent family in Atlanta. Um, I, I haven't kept count, I probably should, but I cannot tell you how many people, uh, part, part of, you know, the PCUSA has the great ends of the church. I'm sure all of your denominations or associations have some in it. One of them is the exhibition of the kingdom of heaven to the world. I think we do that when we have memorial services. Like there's, there's a young woman whose grandmother has been a member of Trinity forever. Her parents did not raise her in the church. When her grandfather died, she was living in Atlanta as a young adult. She came to the memorial service. She got tied into the church. She was moved. She, Memorial services, people are really open. Uh, she got baptized as a young adult. 
I can think of at least three others who are in a similar category. So, so the memorial service is not just a service we're providing for the family. It is a witness to the resurrection. And it is a witness not just to the family, but to those who come in, the stranger, the outsider. It's an opportunity to be missional, to call people who will then be sent out into the world with us. Um, I have a little thing, it, it, when I welcome people, I always say, you know, it, it's funny, because I've been at Trinity for seven years, and I think some people are actually now getting it. They don't say anymore, uh, I'll see you after church. Because I tell people, you don't come to church on Sunday. You don't come to church. You come to worship. You come to learn. You come to fellowship. But you leave to be the church. You don't come to church. You are the church. You come here to gather together so that you can go out into the world to be the church. So why plant missional churches? Because that is, it's, it, that is the church. There is no such thing as a church that's not missional. Uh, Eugene Peterson, years ago, I don't know if you've ever read, he had a great little, I've got some differences with old Gene, but the, um, he had a great series, I don't know if you ever read them, about pastors, pastoral, the pastoral, working the angles, the something stone or something. Yeah, so one of them started out this way. All across America, pastors have abandoned their call. Trouble is, they haven't left their pulpits. <laughs> that, that, that stuck with me for a very long time. I don't want to stay in my pulpit when I no longer feel the call. And I think that's, you know, I appreciated uh, Darius last night saying, it wasn't me for that place. That wasn't my call. And that's hard. Talk about that more in a minute. Um, you know, the missional, the term missional church, again, is, is redundant. I think we need it. We need it because we're upcycling words these days. I, I got, I got uh, interested in the, in the concept of upcycling. Does anybody know what that is? So it's not recycling, where you, you throw something away and it gets crushed and torn and it's made into something unrecognizable. Upcycling is like, throw away your computer parts and we'll make a really cool lamp out of it. So it's recognizable, but it's been upcycled. It's become more beautiful, useful in a, in a new way. Um, and I think we've got to do that with our language. I mean, you can make a case for just dropping language that is so laden with baggage that it's just lost its meaning. But I like to make a case for some of them. We have to upcycle. Right now, the word church is a word that needs to be upcycled. And so we need terms like missional church because we think church means the building with the steeple. And that's not what it is. So we have to have these uh, modifiers. But missional church to me is a lot like social gospel. Who the founders, you know, of that said, 
There's not two Gospels. There's one. The Gospel that transforms people who then transform the world, who join God in the mission of making all things new. And, uh, you know, it's like, I was just in Memphis, actually, with Bernice King. Living in Atlanta is great because I, I have these wonderful um, communities that I'm a part of. But we were there for the I Have a Mountain, uh, I Have a Dream. I've been to the mountaintop, um, the anniversary of that in the Mason Temple. We were in the Mason Temple. But, uh, you know, I think of, of Martin Luther King who said, you know, we got to help the person on the Jericho Road. But that's not enough. We gotta make the road safe. That's one call. That's not two calls, that's one. So missional church, social gospel, it's all, that's all our work. It's, it's one thing. Um, so those were some of my convictions around that. So why we plant missional churches. Now, why plant churches? Um, I think we all have to really, so in this, I mean, like, how does an individual, there's a couple of questions in there. One could be why plant churches, like why should a denomination plant churches or what? But I'm talking about how, why would you sense a call to plant a church? Uh, as all calls, I think, are complex. But um, one is, is it aligned with that core call of yours that transcends any manifestation of it, right? So is, is there an alignment there? For me, there, there certainly, it felt like there was. Um, the other thing for me is, uh, this is very deeply tied to my, um, my sense of the denominational uh, realities of what I believe church is. Um, and so I, you know, reformed and always being reformed. Why plant churches? Because God is always doing a new thing. And we need to be open to that. I love the, the, um, Sarah's involved with fresh expressions, you know, which started in the UK and now is in the US. I'm learning about it. Uh, this this week, but um, God is always doing a new thing. I, as as part of a reformed tradition, um, I believe that, and it's it's our job to be looking for where is that new thing? Where is there smoke where we might stoke it and create fire? Where God is already working, God is doing new things in the world. Where how do we join with that? That's part of the call to uh, why plant new churches. God is doing things outside of our structures. So how do we cooperate with that? Um, and does that, and again, this, that would go back, you know, why would you sense a call to it? I think that would have to be, you know, are you okay operating outside of structures? You know, there's all kinds of, there's all kinds of um, implications to that. But, uh, but to plant a church is to uh, be open to the new thing that God is doing, to be looking for that, to be cooperating with it. When I walk over there, does the sound change a little bit? Okay. Um, so the other, uh, you know, 
the other piece would be that, you know, if you're in that 4%, if you take some of these, and I encourage you to, to take some of these, um, you know, uh, inventories and things that help you determine that. Look, they're not magic. If God's called you, you, you know, you can transcend whatever the tests say, but they're helpful either way, you know, right? So if you, if you really sense this call and that gets affirmed by your community um, and, you, you know, you, the inventory says, well, you're not really the type to do this, well, then you know where you're going to have to have some compensatory uh, staffing and things like that. But um, You know, one of the biggest things that we, I think, in denominations particularly have to um, battle against, battle might be too strong a word, but um, that is guard against, is people who feel that a new church is a threat. Um, sometimes when I talk to crowds, I'll say, you know, well, I'll ask you all, how many in, in your extended family have had a child born in the past year. Anybody? What was that like? Was, did anybody in your family say, that is really gonna threaten us? That kid is really gonna throw us off our game and, you know, take our friends and, you know, no. Nobody thinks that about a new baby. When a new baby comes into the family, everybody's excited. Because that child is going to connect to the world in a new way, is going to have friends we don't have, is going to take us all places that we would not go. And so it's up to us. I don't know. How many of you are like um, presbytery level, like uh, um, what do you call that? Judicatory people, yeah. So it's really important to get the word out that like the birth of a new congregation is not a threat. It enlarges us. It enhances us. It will bring us all a new excitement about our life and our mission. So uh, that I think is a is a burden that we all share together. That and then I know I don't know where I was interested. I was trying to turn around and break my neck to see what everybody raised their hands. How many of you are pastoring churches? How many? I don't know what you'll end up doing if you'll pastor a new church or try to revitalize a church or whatever, but all of us can be about this message uh, and, this, and, and helping our denominations or our colleagues understand that new churches bring life. They are not threats. They enhance our reach, enlarge our tent. Uh, they, they don't take away from us. Um, so, you know, also for me, um, and again, this is where I think, you know, why plant a church? I think you, you have to, um, for me, it was really important uh, that I knew the church I was planning in the sense of that theological conviction around ecclesiology. For example, I was a senior uh, here uh, when a group of young lifers in Severna Park, Maryland, uh, called me up and said, hey, we're starting a house church. Will you, uh, we, you know, we're, we're starting a church in our house, but we don't know where it's gonna go, where it's gonna leave. We're just excited about starting a church. You're about to graduate, come, come be our pastor. Um, these were people I'd known for a long time. I love Severna Park. I was like, yeah, let's do this. 
But I went to meet with them and I said, I have to tell you, I've been in seminary for two and a half years. I can't start just an independent, like we're doing this on our own kind of thing. Uh, let's and and here's why. So so we they said, well, you know, tell us about that. And I said, well, I just feel very strongly convicted about being a connectional church, connected historically to the church historical through the ages, uh, connected beyond just our little thing, but connected globally with a church that has a global and ecumenical relationships. Um, so I did like a, I don't know, tw- I don't know how many weeks. We came and met with them and, and explained to them my theology, of my ecclesiology, and why I thought that being Christian in a Presbyterian way resonated with who I was, my values, um, what, I, what I understood scripture to be saying, not that it's the only way, but it is a faithful way. Um, and so, uh, interestingly enough, the Presbytery, where they were in, made it so difficult because I and and this is just a you know all of you also judicatory people right this was a group of people who didn't need any money they weren't asking for a thing and unfortunately this is one of one of the great regrets of my life I, I actually my I, I went through a really personal uh, hard time and I was, my marriage was falling apart and so I stopped, we, we just, I said, I can't do this anymore. So they stopped uh, petitioning the Presbytery and it all fell apart. But, um, but at any rate, I just remember, I mean, the Presbytery should have said, of course, come on in. You know, I mean, actually, you know, yes, we need to talk to you. We need to make sure you're really aligned with our values and everything. But, um, but I, I'm not sure that our denominations have a strong sense of why it's important to plant churches. And I think we, we have to keep getting that word out there. Um, I, I truly believe, for example, that this is a Kairos moment for uh, churches with polities like, and, and again, I'm sure there's a Kairos moment, whatever your polity is, whatever, but for me, um, you know, there is such a disdain right now in the world out there, you know, organized religion and hierarchical institutions. And uh, I think the, the um, Presbyterian polity, you know, which I, I like to sum it up like this, a group of people is better able to discern the will of God than an individual. Now, groups can still mess it up. And that's why we're reformed because we know the church can always err, and we have to be open to, to learning our errors. Um, but I, So I think it's a kind of a Kairos moment for churches with non-hierarchical um, you know, uh, systems of, of polity and government. Uh, to say, you know, I can say to young adults, come visit, hey, come, come join us. Guess what? You can determine the direction of the church, because this is the priesthood of all believers. And so you can, you can make a difference. You know, another word I think we ought to upcycle, and I can actually argue both sides of this, but membership. 
People don't like to talk about it. a lot of new churches also. Just uh, let's not talk about that. It's got comes with a ton of baggage, no doubt it does. It can seem elitist. It can seem, uh, you know, like you're a member of the country club and who's a member and who's not, and it's divisive and all that. But I think we have to recover the fact that membership is about being an interdependent part of the body of Christ. And the hand cannot say to the foot, I don't need you. We are members one of another, members of a body. Um, so we've worked very hard to recover uh, that, that sense of membership and, and not been afraid. And, and that was also very important in planting uh, the Oconee Church. We, had, um, we talked a lot about what membership was. And actually, I'd be really interested to have further conversation around you know, some, some churches have really, like, if you're going to be a, quote, partner or something, they very seldom do. I hear new churches use the word member. Am I right on that? They're, sometimes it's partner or whatever, um, leadership team or something like that. I don't know. Uh, which, again, nothing wrong with changing the language if it's uh, got a lot of baggage. But uh, sometimes that comes with, like, like, you have to do this and this and, you know, some. And then others, it's... Um, we don't talk about it at all, and just whoever comes, and we're all in this together. And so those are important ecclesiastical issues that I think when you plan a church, you need to think about. What's going to be, what, is, what does membership mean? Is that the word you're using? Is that the language you're using? Are you using different language for it, or are you not concerned about that at all? But what does it mean for a person to become a part of this community that you're planting? Um, I think that that's, that's an important uh, piece to, to keep in mind. Um, So then the question is, where are we? Um, when should I stop? <clears throat> okay, so the, um, <laughs> so then why, okay, so we've said why missional churches, we said why plant churches, why revitalize churches? <laughs> I feel your pain. But here's why, God is always doing a new thing. And we are one. You know, I, I, I mean, look, I was a new church development person. I could get my nose up in the air about established churches. I had no intention of going to an established church. Um, but God is always doing a new thing, and that means planting new things, and it means that old uh, congregations, old communities become new. But someone has to lead them. And it's, we are the church reformed and always being reformed. Always according to the word of God and the call of the spirit. That's, that's true for congregations as well as for new churches. Um, it's really hard work. It's so much harder for people who have that profile than starting a church. Creating culture for someone like me, and I bet for a lot of you, is fun, exciting. It's, you know, you never know what's coming next, and it's, it's, it's uh, entrepreneurial and all that stuff. Uh, changing a culture is hard work, and it's slow. 
it's really slow. 